Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is May 22nd. The economic collapse of 1929, known as the Great Depression, caused widespread hardship throughout the United States. When President Franklin Roosevelt took office in January 1933, 15 million Americans were unemployed. Many had lost not only their jobs, but their also their savings and homes were and were dependent on relief money from the government to survive. Businesses and banks had closed. Production and sales of goods and services had been severely reduced. Most federal relief efforts had been mired for some time in a quagmire of political and legislative wrangling. Little aid or direction had actually reached the state level. On May 22, 1933, the Federal Emergency Relief Administration, or FERA, was inaugurated. The chief architect of this program was Harry Hopkins, the former president and executive director of the New York State Temporary Emergency Relief Administration, and a man who had, by 1933, 20 years of experience in social work and welfare administration. He had worked with the then-governor, Franklin Roosevelt, in New York, and the two had become good friends, with Hopkins serving as Roosevelt's chief advisor and confidant throughout his administration. Hopkins sprang into action less than a week after Roosevelt's inauguration, approaching Roosevelt's Secretary of Labor, Francis Perkins, with a plan for a program of relief for, from the federal relief. Impressed, Perkins agreed to take the proposal to Roosevelt, who quickly agreed to the plan. When Roosevelt appointed Hopkins as director of FERA, he called him to his office for a five-minute talk. The president told Washington newcomer two things, give immediate and adequate relief to the unemployed and pay no attention to politics or politicians. Hopkins did, Hopkins did just that. 30 minutes later, seated at a makeshift desk in a hallway, he began a program committed to action rather than debate, a program that would eventually put 15 million people to work. Even more important, Fira established the doctrine that adequate public relief was the right the citizens in need could expect to receive from the government. FERA had three primary objectives, adequacy of relief measures, providing work for employable people on the relief rolls, and three, diversification of relief programs. FERA accepted as elementary that all needy persons and their dependents should receive sufficient relief to prevent physical suffering and to maintain a minimum standard of living. In a report to Congress in 1936, FERA indicated that while actual physical suffering was prevented, it was never fully possible to achieve living standards of minimum decency for the entire population in need of relief. It had been estimated that during this period of relief, roughly three-fourths of the heads of families on relief were unemployable. Were employable. They may not have had generally employable in private industry due to age, but they were considered employable by FERA. The FERA's goals for work relief included not only genuine work as opposed to make-work projects, but also work opportunities that were sufficiently diversified to give relief workers employment in line with a previous job experience. The working conditions and wages also had to be in line with those found in the private sector. The purpose of FAIR was to work cooperatively with state government providing federal grants for relief purposes. Grant applications required that states were to provide information on the amounts necessary to meet the relief needs in the state and the amounts available from public and private sources within the state to contribute toward those relief needs. States who were also to provide information on provisions made to assure adequate administrative supervision of the funds. 
the methods by which adequate relief levels would be assured, and the purposes for which the funds would be used. The provisions of the Federal Emergency Relief Act of 1933 provided that authorization for fare would expire in two years from the date of inception. And on this day in 1972, President Richard Nixon arrived in Moscow for a week's summit talks with the Kremlin hierarchy. It was the first visit by a U.S. chief executive to Soviet capital, although Nixon had visited there in 1959 to attend a U.S. trade and cultural fair as Dwight Eisenhower's vice president. He was surprised that Leonid Brezhnev, secretary of the Communist Party, was not at the airport. Soviet officials said Brezhnev's absence followed protocol, since technically he did not hold an official government position. Following a high-speed motorcycle motorcade through the city, the president was invited to hold unscheduled talks with Brezhnev at the Kremlin. Their 105-minute meeting reviewed, among other matters, the war in Vietnam, the tense situation in the Middle East, and the prospect of dampening the nuclear arms race between the two superpowers. That evening, Nixon and his wife, Pat, attended a banquet at the Kremlin. The couple walked along a red carpet and up a 60-step staircase into the ornate banquet hall, where Brezhnev, in attendance, Soviet President Nikolai Podorjny, and Nixon spoke and made toast to peace. Nixon cited the need for cooperative reciprocal, reciprocal understandings between the countries in their efforts to conquer disease, improve the environment, as well as the desirability to expand bilateral trade and economic links. In the course of the week, the two sides signed a number of agreements, including one that laid the groundwork for a joint space flight in 1975. On May 26th, Nixon and Brezhnev signed the Strategic Arms Limitation, Limitation Treaty, the most significant of the agreements reached during the summit. SALT limited the United States and the Soviet Union to 200 anti-ballistic missiles each, which were to be divided between the two defensive systems. Nixon flew back to the United States on May 30th to make further preparations for his 1972 re-election campaign. Nixon's initial visit to Moscow in July 1959 featured an informal debate with then-Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev about the merits and disadvantages of the respective governments, political and economic systems. Known as the Kitchen Debate because it occurred in the kitchen of a model U.S. home at the American-sponsored fair, the dialogue proved to be a defining moment in the Cold War. And in 1972, a former British colonial island named Ceylon changed its name to Sri Lanka. And in 2011, Sri Lanka's government decided to change the names of all state institutions still bearing the nation's former British colonial name, Ceylon. The government wants the country's modern name to be used instead. The decision comes 39 years after the country was renamed Sri Lanka. Reaction to the, has been mixed to the New Year's resolution that gets rid of what some see as a vestige of colonialism. The Minister of Energy submitted a cabinet memo this week to change the name of Ceylon Energy Electricity Board, whereupon the president suggested the name Ceylon be removed entirely. The island's British colonial name, derived from an earlier Portuguese one, was dropped in 1972 when the country became a republic and Queen Elizabeth II ceased to be head of state. The adopted name, Lanka, which an honorific Sri was added, is much older and close to the, both the Sinhalese and Tamil names for the island. But the name of Ceylon has persisted in many institutions, including the Bank of Ceylon and Ceylon Fisheries Corporation. One ministry now has the job of ensuring that names and signboards are altered. The Ceylon tea label, however, is unlikely to change as industry believes it is a brand quality for the country's most famous export. Some will be sad to see the name change. One young Sri Lankan told the BBC that the word Ceylon had historic meaning and added value to some institutions. 
A blogger wrote that anti that post-colonial name was associated with terrorism, war, and the late Tamil Tiger leader Velupai. But other Sri Lankans see the name change as long overdue. One young man told the BBC it was high time that names across the country showed some uniformity. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com The U.S. Federal Emergency Relief Fund at content.lib.washington.edu Richard Nixon visits Soviet Union at politico.com and Ceylon changes its name to Sri Lanka at www.bbc.com The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.